0: My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber, I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer, and you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity and the human condition. No. Hello and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing alright. Yeah, I'm doing solidly okay. I uh, came up very high-pitched. Yeah, I was trying to put some emotion into it, you know. Yeah, I've been I've been trying to do that myself with my, uh, um, my speaking recently. Inspired having- by me. Uh, inspired by a, a guy called Neil Gaiman, uh, oh. you know the author who's like an incredible like orator, narrator, whatever. But his his voice is so like expressive and yeah, like he goes you know, like up and down and stuff and yeah, it's just, yeah, like yeah. really cool. And I want to be the sort of guy that does that rather than talking in this kind of monotone that I normally do. Yeah. Anyway, how, um, how are you? I'm, I'm I'm doing all right. What's something we have to say at the start of this this podcast? This podcast is sponsored by. Audible. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Audible, if you are listening, <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online library of courses. <gasps> they have, uh, yeah, basically anyone can uh, record online courses on Skillshare and anyone else can can view them. So if you're interested in learning, I don't know, they probably have some coding ones on there, comedy, you know, video editing, cooking you name it, it'll be on Skillshare. Probably a more productive way to spend time than YouTube or or listening to this podcast. Or listening
0: to this podcast. <laughs> uh, in fact, uh, some recommended Skillshare classes that we would recommend are firstly my own. I've got a three and a half hour long on how to edit video. A three and a half hour long, a three and a half hour long class on how to edit videos with Final Cut Pro, which is you know the a video a video editing software. So if any of you fancy yourself, you know, budding influencers and YouTubers and stuff, you know, maybe your twenty twenty resolution can be to make that first YouTube video, and then you can follow my course to learn how to edit. Alternatively, uh, my new mate, Thomas Frank, has got a really good productivity course, uh, which teaches you like how to do things like manage a to do list and a calendar and how to do a weekly review and all this stuff that I feel like I should have gotten good at, but I'm still kind of struggling along with. But I like genuinely his courses is is proper good. And it's actually a Skillshare original. So it's like filmed and shot and edited really nicely. So I was kind of looking at that and thinking that I need to up my own editing game and then make a course about that.
1: Uh, yeah, look, we we always do this sponsored segment slightly tongue in cheek. And I don't there's not <laughs> there's not really like a a sincere way to do it. But look, it's the holidays. You probably wanna uh, I think everyone to some degree kind of has, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> I think everyone to some degree kind of has in the back of the mind of like, oh I'd like to learn this thing, or like there's something, you know, I always wanted to do stand up or I always wanted to like learn this thing. Skillshare is honestly, look,
0: there's a few, there's a few online websites that do it. Skillshare is one of them. A few online websites. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Skillshare is one of them. Skillshare is, in my opinion, the best. And that's not just because they're sponsoring this because for a single like one time payment of less than $10 a month, you can basically get access to this entire library of things. With all these other websites, you have to pay for individual courses and that just increases the friction too much. So if you fancy like learning something new, then go to Skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking. And that'll give you a two month free trial. And in those two months, you can decide to take up like 10 different skills as a new year's resolution and then you've got two months to try them and then abandon them <laughs> uh, and if you decide to continue with them then you can you know by all means sign up to the premium subscription
1: and and crucially if lots of you do it it'll improve our relationship with skillshare and other potential sponsors uh which you know look my my startup isn't profitable yet this is <laughs> this is the only revenue i have right now <laughs> so we really need this
0: yeah absolutely um anyway uh, what what are we going to talk about today
1: I thought today we'd do like a uh, a 2019 review. We're recording this on the 27th of December. So this this will be our final recording uh, of 2019. And it will
0: probably go out on New Year's Day or something. Something like that. And this is pos- possibly like the second time we have recorded, uh, not at the last minute. Normally we, we record on the Sunday to release an episode on the Sunday. So, you know, we're doing really well.
1: Yeah. Um, so just, I mean, just off the top of my head, there were a few things that kind of came to mind that we should include in this review. The first of them is that I think we should sort of look back on, uh, all our podcast episodes so far and just kind of highlight the ones that we think are the most important and meaningful and kind of the main, uh, bits from them. Um, and actually I've been meaning to sort of summarize, uh, slash, you know, highlight, uh, in a blog post, like the the key ideas that we've kind of developed so far in the podcasts that we like to develop further and we
0: like to, you know, the, the ones that we think should stick out. And so let's just do that. All right. So I guess we're going to go through our episodes one by one and decide which of the episodes were legit and which ones didn't really have anything new in them. Let's go on the website, notoverthinking.com. Right. So episode one was why do we like to be correct? Um, I personally thought that was quite like a bit of a weak start to the podcast because it was a really? very... Like, to me, it felt like something like why are we scared to put ourselves out there or why do we hate networking events uh, would have been more like uh, as in more of a clickbait title almost. Whereas why do we like to be correct? It's I mean, it's 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 hard to get at what the episode is talking about just from that title. You mean the title wasn't clickbait? I mean, the title wasn't clickbait. Yeah.
1: Yeah, fine. But like the, we're talking about the content. No one cares about the title. Uh. <clears throat> I actually I, I I was actually pretty happy with this one. Um and, like, I swear everyone who I've spoke, like, you know, all my sort of real-life friends who listen to this all thought that, like, whoa, yeah, that's actually something, yeah, I've, I've definitely noticed that. Like, I never really thought too much about it. That's, like, so on point, you know? And I, I think that's, I like this one because I think it's kind of uh, representative of sort of what I want the whole, all, all the episodes to be, which is, like, examining this thing that, you know, was sort of vaguely aware of but generally haven't put, most people don't put too much thought into like it's it's a good archetypal episode I think.
0: Okay, yeah, fine. I buy that. I just felt bad about the uh, non clickbaity title. <laughs> oh, come on, dude. It's uh, cuz it's cuz right. Like episode 1 of a podcast, like our friend Paul's podcast, his ep- episode 1 is called what this podcast is about to start here or something like that. So, for someone discovering the podcast for the first time, it's really obvious that here is a 10-minute episode that literally just tells you what this podcast is going to be about, whereas diving straight into why do we like to be correct I thought was a, was, was possibly not the best kind of springboard. But hey, whatevs, it's a podcast. I don't think anyone's going to listen to episode one anyway.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I think the main idea in that was, uh, I guess we, yeah, the, the main thing we talked about was that, you know, during conversation uh there's all the, there's often like a bit of a pressure to want to almost show off our knowledge about the world show off facts and things and you know if someone if you're having a conversation with someone about something and they say something which isn't quite factually correct and you happen to know you know the you know the correct version of whatever they whatever they said there is a sort of uh i don't know there's a tendency to want to correct them and be like well actually it's this not <laughs> not that thing actually that Mount
0: saying. Everest is 8848 meters high
1: yeah exactly <laughs> um and we kind of dug into sort of that phenomenon, why we think that phenomenon exists, why we think it's bad to give into that. And
0: uh, yeah, so various things related to that. All right, episode two was why are we scared to put ourselves out there? Um, which was all about kind of overcoming the fear of, you know, putting putting work out into the public. Um, and I was curious about this uh, because, you know, I'd been a YouTuber for like two years at this point, And so I was quite comfortable with the idea of putting myself out there. But this was sort of the first time Taymor had, Done stuff in the public eye outside of writing, and so we sort of talked a little bit about that and about some of the the issues that people and that we historically have had with this idea of you know, like, in a way, self promotion, self expression. You know, all this stuff about like, how do you how 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 are you qualified to talk about this thing, write about this thing? Uh, why are you so narcissistic that you're making videos about your life? You know, all all of this sort of stuff.
1: I think this was actually a cracking episode because this is, I mean, this is a conversation that. <clears throat> I think, yeah. I think this is a conversation that's relevant to basically everyone because I think everyone has some part of them that they kind of wish, like, oh, I wish I, you know, I wish I perform, yeah, I play this instrument. I wish I like performed more, or like, oh, I, I have this interest in this thing. I wish I, you know, started a blog about it or a YouTube channel about it. And basically, everyone has exactly the same reservations about putting themselves out there and just having this one episode. That, you, that I don't know, I find it useful to just send friends to this episode. And, you know, if I go on like a, a low social optionality group holiday with friends, uh, if if I haven't already forced them to listen to this episode, this will be something we listen to in the car. Because like, it's it's just so relevant to everyone. And just essentially in the episode, we, we, we sort of list out all the reservations and the barriers that stop people from putting them, themselves out there. And we kind of break them down one by one. And I think once someone has faced that, then it, 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 there's sort of nothing remaining apart from like, okay, yeah, I should, I should do this or I should just admit that like, I, I don't I'm, care about yeah. It
0: or something. Oh. Yeah. Or just admit that I'm too scared to do it. I think that's yeah. another yeah, yeah, part. Yeah, just yeah. like, like when we have that feeling of fear to just like name it as fear. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um.
1: So I, think, I think that was a good episode. I think t- two episodes in, sorry, <clears throat> two episodes in, I think we're doing great.
0: All right. Why do we hate networking events? Oh, I thought this was a good one as well. This was a cracking episode. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of social optionality.
1: <laughs> yeah. So in this episode, uh, episode three, why do we hate networking events? I presented one of my seminal theories. Seminal. One of my seminal theories about uh, low social optionality, which was that... Uh, different sort of social settings we have a different degree of how much control we kind of have of the situation you know at a networking event uh if you're not enjoying a conversation you can kind of uh you know check out and and politely excuse yourself and move on and go talk to someone else um and there'll be no consequences you can sort of do that freely whereas if for example if you're on a holiday with a group of people then you know you have to spend the next week or two with this small group of people and so uh you can't really just opt out whenever things get boring or whenever things get slightly uncomfortable uh and i basically argued that uh the the high optionality setting uh isn't really conducive to meaningful human connection because it doesn't force us to get past the uncomfortable moments, get past the awkward moments, you know, give people second and third chances after we make an initial impression of them. Um, And yeah, we talked about sort of various experiences in my life where my first impressions of people have been wrong. And if I weren't
0: on a group holiday with these people, chances are I would have never become friends with them. And I think in this episode, we also uh, decided to hold our own (laughs) low optionality event of some sort. And we asked people to email us if they were interested in joining like a group holiday with us. And then we just never got around to organizing this group holiday.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of people actually have been emailing. and The the email's still trickling. I think when new people start to listen to the podcast. Why don't we just set a weekend?
0: What? Like right now we can decide a weekend for this low optionality group holiday to like the Lake District or something and then just go for it. All right. I think mid-february mid-late february is pretty good for me how about the 21st 22nd 23rd of february all right okay okay cool if anyone wants to go on a holiday with us um in the uk probably to the lake district or to the Cotswolds or something on the friday the 21st to sunday the 23rd of february then drop us a drop us an email hi at not com, and we will we'll plan this event it's going to happen we've made a commitment i just need to make sure i'm not on call that weekend but it's fine i can probably swap it if i am yep (coughs) On this uh, low social optionality thing, I've uh, I've actually been thinking about this a fair bit, and this is one of the concepts that sort of people who listen to the podcast, if I meet them in real life, they say that the low social optionality thing uh, and the measure thing cause that will come to come to in a, in a bit are like one of their one of their favorite insights. I think. A big part of that is because when you can name something, yeah. when you can name a phenomenon, then it's going to stick out in people's heads. Whereas, you know, why are we scared to put ourselves out there? I think that episode had a lot of wisdom in it, but there was no kind of one name for it. Yeah. And like when Stephen Pressfield wrote The War of Art and called this kind of thing, The Resistance. Yes. You know, yeah. this struggle that we all have to actually sit down and do the work, The Resistance. Suddenly just naming that makes him like world famous in this in this field because he's named the thing that everyone yep, feels. Precisely. Anyway, um. I've recently been listening to this other podcast called The Art of Charm, which is all about like how to improve your social skills and stuff like that. Oh, you know, classic. I know. Yeah. Um, And I've been listening to a few other episodes about dating Uh, again, classic. (laughs) Uh, And, they like to refer to the swipe culture that we live in, <laughs> ah. which is this like high social optionality that oh you know if you don't really get on with someone or if the banter isn't quite great over Tinder DM, then you'll just swipe along and kind of move to the next person. Yeah. Um. And this sort of goes back to the three date rule that um you supposedly came up with uh, a few episodes ago. Do not move the microphone; it's going to break. Uh, the three date rule that you came up with a few episodes ago, which is that if you're going to go on a first date with someone, then at least from from your perspective, you should try and make it a second and a third date just because one date is nowhere near enough time to actually get to know someone to any reasonable depth at all. So I've been thinking about this a lot fairly, fairly recently.
1: Cool. Uh, Episode four was why do we struggle with consistency? I can't remember what we talked about in this episode and it sounds like a bad one. Now you're going to say, oh, this is one of my favorite episodes. I love talking about consistency and habits. The
0: reason that we talked about this one was because we were like, right, we've done three episodes. We don't know what to talk about. Um, Should we do the podcast at all? And it was like one o'clock in the morning and it was like, oh, it's week four. We have to, we have to churn out a podcast episode. And then we thought, you know, why not just go really meta and talk about the struggles of actually churning out this particular podcast? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, And so... I, I, I actually think this was a really good episode we've had a lot of emails saying that they really benefited from the consistency episode yeah. um, a, a, a few of the things we discussed were that consistency consistency is probably the single most important predictor of success however you wanted to find success like you know you can just pick something and work on it consistently over a long period of time and you probably will be successful at it um there i I've, I, I honestly can't think of many other sort of personality traits that correlate so well with being successful in any field other than just being consistent at it yeah i back that uh we talked about how we're not we're not allowed to complain about our lack of success in anything uh, unless we've been doing it consistently for at least a year if not longer um and one of my favorite blog posts about this is by mark manson uh, who used to write uh dating books for guys about you know how to get girls but now switched into the whole general self-improvement stuff uh, and recently wrote the uh subtle art of not giving an f uh which was a bestseller book uh, and his latest book is called "Like Everything Is Effed," uh, a book about hope. Why are you censoring the word "fuck"? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we're not allowed to say that on the podcast. <laughs> I don't think we've ever said that on the podcast. You can't say that. I mean, it's fine, it's like saying it's like saying the N word while reading of mice and men. You, you just can't do it. <laughs> All right, maybe. Anyway, um, he wrote a really good blog post, a seminal blog post um, that I came across uh, like five, six years ago, like ages ago, which was called "Shut Up and Join a Gym." And it was about it was all about how as a guy you're not allowed to complain about your lack of success with girls unless you've literally been a member of a gym and going been going consistently for at least six months to a year. Nice. Because that is such an easy win that if you haven't done that, you just have zero right to complain at all. Um we also talked about how removing optionality aids consistency. Like, you know, our thing of we have to churn out a podcast episode each week, it's not an option, is a big part of why this is consistent. Uh, and like a load of other things. I think it was a pretty solid episode.
1: Actually, yeah, sorry, I take I take it back. Um in hindsight, I think that was
0: actually a decent episode. But episode number five was called Why Should You Invest in a Good Kitchen Bin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we, we really like, like hit it out of the park for the first five episodes. Yeah, this
1: was an absolute cracker. <laughs> in this episode, I presented my theory of measure, which is a sort of a mental model, if you will, um, on uh, about how to make decisions. Uh, and I, I basically laid out the theory, which is that uh, you know, when we're evaluating uh, a decision, it, it often comes down to how, you know, how we should spend our resources, whether that's time, whether that's money. Um, and usually when we think about the value of uh, a particular decision, we have a bias towards thinking about the, what I call the magnitude of that decision. Uh, and so, for example, if you think about going out to a restaurant to eat, you think about, oh, it tastes really good when I like have that uh, I don't know, lamb chops at, at Dishoom, they're very good. Um, however, I think uh, what I found particularly useful is to uh, instead think about the sort of the the other component of the value that we get out of something, which is sort of the frequency at which we get this value. And so, you know, in the restaurant example, while it may feel really good to bite into a lamb chop at Dishoom, you get a really good feeling for about 10 seconds or something, 10, 20 seconds. uh, And you can pretty much guarantee that once the meal is over, you're not getting any more value from the food. and so I think it's worth thinking about the parts of our lives where we sort of, you know, the, the parts of our lives that come up uh, again and again. Uh, and I think that this is sort of represented by something like a kitchen bin, which is, you know, a pretty unassuming object. You probably don't think much about it. It sits in the corner of your kitchen. But if you think about it, you actually interact with a kitchen bin you know, maybe like 10 times a day. And you'll, you'll do this every single day for maybe like 10 years before you replace the bin. Uh, and I've certainly found that having a really nice kitchen bin has significantly improved my life because now every time I need to chuck something in the bin, it's actually a nice experience. And look, it's never going to be so nice that I tweet about it. Uh, although in this case, I probably have tweeted about the bin. Um, but it has made a measurable, di- oh, measurable <laughs> <laughs> difference to uh, to my life. Whereas in investing money in more sort of transient things that are a bit more flashy, uh, I think that's a, a lot sort of shorter lived. Uh, and so yeah, in this episode, we kind of talk about different applications of that. Uh, and most interestingly, we talk about, uh, the, the parts of our life that are really high measure that we don't really think about investing in. So we talk about things like, you know, investing in a voice coach because all of us, you know, spend a decent amount of our day and a decent amount of our sort of working lives and social lives, talking to other people. And if, if we could improve our voices by like 10%, whatever that might mean, that would surely have like massive improvements, you know, other things like public speaking, mental health, all of this kind of stuff that we may not necessarily think about as, as things we can invest in. If we improve these high measure parts of our lives by just a small amount, it would actually be really, really valuable.
0: Yeah, I agree. That was a crack reference episode. (laughs) Um, followed swiftly by this episode of why do we love our jobs, which I think was a terrible title. I, th- I think we could have titled that slightly differently.
1: Yeah. I also don't think it was a very good episode.
0: Yeah. So this was the first time that we tried to have a guest on. Um,
1: yeah. And it was also the first time we did it remotely. I was in Singapore for this. Oh, you
0: were in Singapore for this. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, so it was remote. Plus we had a guest and there were all sorts of like issues in our end to work out about the, like uh, one of the things that we like about this podcast is uh, supposedly the fact that uh, the banter is strong. But it's surprisingly hard to have strong banter when you have like a one and a half second delay between the thing that I say and the thing that Tamor says. Um, so, you know, it was a it was a bit experimental. I still think we we touched upon some good concepts. We talked about this, like, w- what does it mean when people say they love their jobs? And is it ever really possible to enjoy going to work on a Monday after you've had the weekend off? Yeah, You know, stuff like that. Um, I still haven't quite figured this out. This is something that I think about fairly constantly like every monday i think oh i'm not looking forward to going to work tomorrow (sighs) even though i know that when i'm at work it's kind of fun and i wonder if it's ever possible to have have that kind of job
1: i I think the other thing about this episode which uh made me think it's kind of not very good was that i think we didn't really i think we didn't we didn't really think too much about what a three-person dynamic would be and so the episode kind of turned into almost like an interview style of like so I, I someone would ask a question and be like, "Oh, what do you think?" and then, "Oh, what do you think?" and then, "Cool, let's move on to the next question or something." Whereas it it wasn't so much as a, a, of a free flowing discussion, uh, which I I like to think more, most of our episodes try to be.
0: Yeah, I think if we'd all been there in person, it yeah. would have been much more of a you know standard conversation. Yeah, but the remote aspect kind of screwed up a bit. Oh well, you know. Also, partly I like I think we shouldn't be so quake to say oh this was a bad episode this was because you know different episodes are going to mean different things to different people yeah, and of course all of that stuff uh which leads us on nicely to uh, the next episode which was how should we take advice um i d- this i don't remember anything about this episode <laughs> so, so the how should we take advice episode was sort of um off the bat of like two or three emails that we got about the previous episode saying that oh i didn't think it was very good because the, dy- the 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 dynamic wasn't quite there etc etc and that got us thinking that A, to what extent should we take that sort of constructive criticism into account when when making our own plans? But also in general, because, you know, I'm a sucker for life advice and you, Taymor, even though you claim not to be, you read a lot of it on the internet. Um, Like, you know, to what extent you can really take the advice of a random stranger on the internet? Uh, And given that I'm in the business of giving life advice across the internet to random people, I think it's actually important to take a step back and think, you know, how should we actually take this advice? And we just kind of talked about how different advice can... Uh, so, uh, essentially acts on our own mental models of the world and what we should do ideally is we should sort of treat it almost like a stream that we can dip in and out of as we need to rather than thinking of it as a prescriptive approach where someone else has figured it out and we need to kind of follow their answers
1: mm. yeah i think just moving away from the someone else has the answers and they can give them to me moving away from that mindset is i think uh, probably the most important thing i found in in sort of advice taking the next episode was what we call a in between episode, uh, which is code for we were too lazy to record a podcast. And so I think Ali just
0: uploaded uh, the audio from one of his YouTube videos. Yes, it was about time management, motivation, productivity, etc. So let's just skip past that. Then we had, oh, on May the 12th, which was the day after my birthday, what makes an awkward silence?
1: I think this one was good. I remember this one being good. I think we, we had a guest. Uh, we had our, our friend Omar on the podcast. Oh, yeah, we did. Um... To be honest, I don't remember much about the details, but I remember it was quite a nice one.
0: Yeah, I think th- this was off the back of you having like a road trip and sort of feeling more comfortable with certain people rather than with other people and kind of figuring out what makes an awkward silence. I honestly can't remember what we discussed in that but one. But I, I think it was good. I think it was good. Our next one, absolute classic. Why do we struggle with motivation? <laughs> oh. In fairness, I thought this was really helpful because I've been trying to design this like all-encompassing theory of motivation to figure out why some of us claim to have motivation and some of us claim to lack motivation. Uh, and we talked about kind of various different uh, various different kind of points within the motivation equation that we can act on. So I think one thing we said was that um, if something is fun to do or pleasant, then we're more likely to do it. And so doing things to make anything more pleasant will make us more likely to do it. Or if there's a significant punishment to not doing the thing. So I think one thing we proposed that, you know, if if you actually really wanted to go to the gym three times a week. You would just give 500 pounds to a friend and tell them that if there's a single week where you don't go to the gym three times, you would they would just donate that money to charity or get to keep it or whatever. And I think I'd sort of vowed to uh, donate some money to my housemate, Molly, um, and to to keep up my habit of going to the gym. But on reflection, I realized that actually I do not want to go to the gym enough to warrant forming this habit. And that I thought was actually a really good lesson for me because before before recording this episode, I would have thought, oh, right, you know, I like. lack... I just lack the discipline or something to go to the gym or or whatever. But then I realized that actually, no, I, I don't actually want to do this. Yeah, I don't and care enough to spend yeah, 500 pounds. Exactly. Like put 500 pounds on the line.
1: Cool. The next episode uh, was how can we get into the habit of reading? Uh, here we... It was basically... It was... Look, it was one of the more advicey ones, but I I quite liked it because it was, I guess, because it was a topic closer to my heart, which is that I have struggled to read books for many years. <laughs> Not no. struggled to read, <laughs> crucially, no. struggled to read books. Struggled so to read books. Um, yeah, you know, I always start books and never really finish them. I buy a bunch of books and then you just never really get into them. Uh, whereas Ali has been quite a voracious reader over the past couple of decades, and he claims to have gotten a lot of actual value out of the books he reads, whereas. I don't, really, I don't really feel the same way. Uh, and so we were trying to help me
0: figure out how to read more books. Yeah, so we shared some actionable tips for that. But yeah, you can check out that episode if you like. Um, next, we talked about how much of our behavior is status-seeking. Um, so I think this one came off the back of an article written by some tech guy, uh, which was all about how the different social networks, um, you know, like Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, blah, 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 they're all ultimately optimized to allow users to signal their status in different realms um so he talks so in this in this article this guy talks about this idea that we as humans are all status seeking monkeys and you know that's kind of rule number one of human life and rule number two is that we will try and do whatever we can to most efficiently efficiently garner status and his point is that we all play status games in all aspects of our lives whether we like it or not of uh, those of us who are older would play status games about you you know the the brand of car in our driveway or how big our house is or you know what what our job title is whereas when it comes to kids and teenagers and stuff who don't have job titles and who don't own cars one of the the best ways that they can signal status is by these online status seeking games like how many likes do you have on instagram how many friends do you have on facebook you know how how well can you as a 13 year old girl dance and lip sync to some country American country music on TikTok to garner followers on TikTok, that sort of stuff. Uh, And I thought it was really interesting from the point of view of all of these being drivers and uh, ways for us to signal our status. And I think we kind of talked about how Tame wanted to get a fancy designery sort of backpack uh, as a way of signaling status and how I bought this sort of, you know, fancy luggage thing and as sort of as a way to signal status, even though that's not the story I would have told myself.
1: Yeah, I thought this was a decent episode. Um, I, I particularly liked the bit where, yeah, I like the conclusion that like, some people do it a lot more transparently, like some people want a massive Gucci belt. Other people do it less transparently by, you know, having a really minimalist outfit and then, you know, having some uh, sort of surreptitiously very expensive travel travel luggage <laughs> <laughs> that only others in the know will understand and be like, "Oh, that's that's an away suitcase." Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're, I think we're all doing it. Was was my conclusion. All right. The next episode was how to deal with rejection. Uh, I think. Just before we recorded this episode, I'd recently faced a, uh, a rejection in my professional life. And, and so uh, during the episode, we kind of talked about the different sort of rejections that we faced in sort of work and school and uh, relationships and that kind of stuff and how we kind of dealt with them to be honest i don't remember that we reached any interesting conclusions about how to deal with rejection but we talked about rejection
0: we talked about it and then i took a i took us on a tour of my various romantic rejections
1: oh yeah that's Um,
0: worth a listen and actually a couple of people who uh romantically rejected me ended up listening to that episode really yeah and they said it was hilarious and they really enjoyed it so oh nice (laughs) (laughs) it was it was all good
1: yeah you you win in the end
0: (laughs) who's who's laughing now (laughs) it's them it's still them all right our next episode was what does it mean to be authentic i really have no idea what we were talking about here
1: i seem to remember this was me you know rambling on saying phrases like i just want to keep it real man (laughs) you know it was it was a lot of that kind of stuff
0: a lot of that kind of stuff yeah (laughs) a lot of hand waving and not much actually kind of coming coming to some kind of conclusion um We talk about the different situations in which we behave authentically to varying degrees, the characteristics of certain interactions that make them feel authentic, and, of course, some hacks to make interactions more authentic. (laughs) Ironically. Is that the right use of ironically? I think so. We have a lot of difficulty defining what it means to be authentic, and we don't quite reach the profound insight that Tamer was hoping to get to, but this is probably something we'll revisit in a future episode. Right, we can uh, make a note to ourselves to talk about authenticity at some point. again.
1: The next episode was another in-between episode uh, about Ollie's journey on YouTube.
0: Oh, I actually thought this was quite good. This was like, like I was, I was interviewed, I think for the first time on someone else's podcast. Um, I was the second episode of this podcast of which there have only been like two or three now, like in the last two years, because I don't think the guys actually continued with it showing lack of consistency, unfortunately. Sorry, James. I think that was his name. Um, But yeah, this was all about how I got started on YouTube and kind of tips for new creators and that sort of stuff. And then, at the end of June, we talked about why do we seek permission? To be honest, I don't remember what we talked about in
1: this episode, but I, th- I think that the title, just the title, is something it is it just kind of sums up an idea that I have actually often thought back to, and it, it comes it comes back to this thing that we we're talking about a few minutes ago about how you know the wrong way to approach advice is that someone else has the answers, they can give them to us. I think it's related to that that like in lots of parts of our lives, we we sort of. Or we assume that there is a gatekeeper who we need the approval of, or the validation of, or the permission from, uh, you know, lots of people just assume that you can't just go out and start a business. I actually have it. I have a tweet that I did yesterday, which really sums this up. I'll, I'll read out the tweet. Um, the tweet was that at age eight, Microsoft publisher templates opened my eyes to the nature of reality. Uh, and then I have an in quotes, are you telling me that a greetings card is just folded up paper with writing on it? are you telling me that I can write my name on this thing I printed out and that's called a certificate? Um, And then I said that I had a similar awakening at university, which was, you know, are you telling me that a a fancy black tie event is just when a bunch of people sit down and say, this is going to be a fancy black tie event. Um, And and the the idea is basically that like in all these moments, I was kind of surprised to find out that there is, you know, there's nothing more to most things than like, you know, someone just said so, (laughs) or, you know, any, anyone can do this thing like anyone can print off some print off a piece of paper call it a certificate anyone can organize a party and say that everyone has to dress up fancy and all of a sudden it's a black tie event the point is you don't need to seek permission in in the vast majority of things even if it seems like there sh- there must be someone i have to ask before i can call this a black tie event <laughs> you know
0: yeah so um the, this again is is something that i i have been thinking a lot about this year uh in in the context of trying to figure out what to do with my life. So uh, as I've alluded to a few times on this podcast, um, from August 2020, I'm going to be unemployed. And so I've got this like, I've got the, like, you know, the the world is my proverbial oyster and I could kind of do whatever I want. But that paradox of choice leaves me sort of paralyzed with not really knowing what I want to do. And I came across this blogger who kind of used to live this lifestyle where he traveled the world and made websites from his low laptop and, you know, online websites, stuff like that. Um, and he has this like um, in-person bootcamp slash masterclass thing where once or twice a year, like 10, 15 people plus this guy all get together in like Las Vegas. And for a week, they just kind of hang out and talk about, uh, you know, how to improve their businesses and what they can be doing in their life to make make their lives better. And what this guy was saying in, in a random podcast that I listened to is that a lot of the people that contact him for this sort of coaching um, pre- seem to just want his permission to live and live in sort of unconventional lifestyle. <laughs> and he realised this after kind of a few weeks of doing this. He was like, like all, all of these guys have 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 got it all sorted. Like they literally have the money, they've got the means, they've got the sort of. I told you you were going to drop the microphone. <laughs> okay, we need to plug the microphone back in. Hold well on. Right? Are we still recording? Have a look. Testing, testing, one, one, two, three. All right. Test yours as well. Hello. Yep. Okay, hopefully that's alright. Anyway, back to my story. Um he was basically he was he was saying in this podcast about how so many people that contact him and want to go to his boot camp and want like one-on-one coaching for him that from him that he charges like a thousand dollars an hour for basically just want his permission to live this sort of lifestyle. They've got everything sorted, they've got you know all their affairs in order, they've they've got the kind of job where they can travel the world but they feel like they need someone's permission to do it. Um, and he was saying that, so yeah, in these calls, it ends up being like an hour of them talking about his thing and him being like, yeah, sounds like a good plan, go for it. And then they're like, oh, cool. All right, then I will. <laughs> and like, I like before hearing this episode, I was genuinely considering paying $1,000 to like book an hour long phone call with this guy to try and hash through what I wanted to do with my life. And then I realized that actually... I'm just seeking his permission, even oh, though I sick. could literally do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> so
1: I love it. That's such a good story. <laughs>
0: rudely interrupted by your dropping the voice recorder off the table. Yeah, sorry. Oh, well. On the note of story, actually. Uh, this is totally irrelevant. Um, the, the, this is something we should do a podcast on at some point. This same blogger, um, whose work I started following around about, around about this time, has written a book called Superhuman Social Skills. Whoa. Um, which is actually really good. Um, it's all like... Um, Well, about how to how to improve your social skills. And a big part of what he espouses is to get good at storytelling, Um, because we all know people who are like very charismatic storytellers. And it's a it's a real asset to a conversation, to a group dynamic when you can tell a good story. Yeah. And he was saying that, you know, we all have that we the, the, the the those of us who consider ourselves the kind of less charismatic sort of shy away from storytelling because. But that's to be expected because it's something that we haven't really practiced. And so what he says in this book is like, you know, right now, close this book, write out the alphabet A to Z down the down like a single A4 side. And for every single letter of the alphabet, come up with a story that has, you know, that kind of theme. So A might be for alligator, B might be for baseball, you know, a story about that sort of thing. And by yeah. the end of it, you'll realize that you've got these 26 stories in your life. And then as you're in different social environments with, with you know, preferably with, with uh, different people each time, <laughs> you would practice these stories and you would get good at telling the same story. Yeah. And And what he was saying is that because he's done this whole traveling the world thing, he ends up meeting loads and loads of new people. So now he's got pretty much, A handful of stories for almost any situation imaginable and he knows he can tell it really well and it shows him in a a good light it adds good vibes to the group and all just like general positive things and after reading that i was thinking damn i really need to do this (laughs) and i still haven't got haven't yet gotten around to doing this but about once every two weeks i have the thought that you know what i've got an hour i should make this a to z list but it just feels like such a daunting task that I just I, I just never quite have the activation energy to actually sit down and do it. Do you not feel like implicitly you just have a collection
1: of bits that you can do in a social setting? I probably do, but I'm a like big the you, fan of like... like if someone asks, you know, there must be like a ton of YouTube questions that you get from lots of people. And you just, at this point, just have rehearsed answers that you can say with your eyes closed. Like if someone asks, oh, how would you get started on YouTube? Or like, oh, what's it like being you know, like semi-famous or something?
0: Yeah, fine. I've got a few bits I can do, but I haven't really thought thought about this systematically. Oh, okay. um, and I, it's it would be very easy for me to be uh, to, to uh, talk about uh, what it's like to be sort of internet famous. I can t- talk about this story or that story where people have recognised me. Yeah, but it's the more normal kind of stories that I naturally uh-huh. feel less comfortable with sharing, especially if it's in a group of people where I'm not fully feeling I, I'm not feeling fully comfortable. Yeah, because like you know, telling a story about how I got recognised on the street is. It, it, it feels a bit like cheating in a way, right? Whereas if like it also I can, gets kind of douchey, it's a bit. Well, I don't know. I think if 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 someone actively asks okay, about yeah, it, yeah, then yeah. you can do it in sort of a self deprecating way, like, oh my god, I can't believe this happened. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's 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 kind of a, it's 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 sort of like um, back when I used to do close up magic. You know, it's it's sort of it's it's sort of cheating to go up to a group of people and show them a magic trick in order to get them interested in you yeah, and laughing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's just a crutch. Yeah. And you want to be able to do that just off the bat. Like yeah. that would be a superpower if you can just walk up to a random group of or of, of anyone. I yep. was going to say hot girls there and I thought that would be problematic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> walk <laughs> up to a random group of anyone and <laughs> just sort of just like be entertaining. I think that's a, a very different skill set. Yeah. So this is, this is something I want to do more of.
1: Storytelling. Absolutely. The next episode was entitled, Is Ambition a Virtue? Uh, and in this episode, I think I was basically trying to argue that the ideas that we have currently about, you know, ambition and being ambitious are all slightly misguided because it's really, uh, you know, these ideas are sort of steeped in just competing meaninglessly with other people. So, for example, if I think I, I probably made the argument that, you know, if someone, you know, 10 years ago, if a kid wanted to be like, you know, wanted to dedicate their life to playing some video game, you know, li- playing like League of Legends or something, most people would look on them and think oh what a loser what a waste man what like a uh, you know uh, what a waste of life or something um, whereas if the kid was like oh yeah i want to dedicate my life to playing chess <laughs> then,
0: <laughs> then, then people would be like <laughs> then all the people at school would be like oh what a legend <laughs> <laughs> no the people at school would still be like what a <laughs> what, <loser." laughs> what, what a waste of life uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a phrase um yeah but like basically society for some reason thinks that chess is really worthwhile versus video uh, whereas video games aren't and this would have been like 10 years ago before the whole esports thing um and so someone who wanted to be really good at chess would be described positively as ambitious and you know he had the great ambitions to be like a grandmaster and all this kind of stuff whereas really chess is as meaningless as league of legends right there's, there's nothing different about it and so i was basically arguing that um you know this this sort of trope that I've heard from lots of my friends of like oh you know I uh, I'm I'm looking for a partner who's really I'd like to meet a guy or a girl who's ambitious you know this kind of stuff I was sort of arguing that this the idea we have of ambition is kind of misguided and what what really matters is sort of living intentionally uh, and you know if you're if the thing you really want to do happens to be considered ambitious by society for example. If the thing you, you know, if you really, really, really want to start the next Facebook um, and you actually want to do that, go for it. Society will label you as ambitious. Uh, if you really want to, you know, just tend to your garden in the evenings and that's about it, you should definitely do that. And society won't consider you ambitious, but that's irrelevant. Uh, so I was basically arguing for uh, living intentionally, which is uh, one, of, one of my
0: spiels and mantras now. I have sort of been thinking about this ambition thing um, and... I think like one thing we didn't mention in, the, in that episode is possibly about certain things being more admirable because they are difficult, and I think that's one of the things where ambition, like ambition, tends to be ascribed to things that are difficult. And yes, there is some kind of asymmetry in society where things like getting good at StarCraft is it's considered not ambitious. But you sort of, as general society realizes the difficulty of certain things, like getting good at StarCraft, or that you know esports is a thing. That becomes on par ambition wise with something like chess or something like starting the next Facebook, whereas something like just tending to your garden at home is not a particularly quote, difficult thing as far as most people would see it right
1: yeah I, look i might i don't I don't buy the difficulty thing to be honest because I think the difficulty thing most often comes down to Uh, playing sort of zero-sum games with other people. You know, something is difficult if like only very few people can do it. For example, only one person can come top of the class. Only X number of people can get this, you know, get into the graduate scheme at this particular employer. Oh,
0: I don't know if that's true because for example, it would be considered very ambitious to try and write a book. And when you're writing a book, that's not a zero-sum game.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, look, I'm not making a blanket comment here. I'm saying that... This idea of ambition is like it's a dangerous one because there's so many like trap doors inside it where like you can fall into doing the wrong something for the wrong reasons. Okay, I'm saying even with the difficulty thing, there's the trap door of like playing zero sum games and competing with people for no reason.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah,
1: I can agree. Cool. Next up, uh, the next episode we did mid July was entitled How Should We Give Advice? I don't remember anything about this episode.
0: Nope, me neither. Let's move on. Then we talked, oh, the, our next one was startups coding and making money online, interview with Taymor. And this was where, where I was trying to be kind of like uh, the host of the Tim Ferriss show and interviewing you as if you were some like su- like super successful guy. Yeah. I'm not sure if your company had got funded at that point.
1: <laughs> uh, no, it wouldn't. I, I, I don't think it had. I think
0: you were kind of on the, uh, uh, on the circuit trying to sort of shill for investor money at this point. Um, but we kind of talked about how you got started with making money online and coding and stuff. Then we had another in-between episode. Oh, and then how do we make friends? I thought this was a great one. This was a cracker. August the 4th, 2019, man. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I we know. make friends?
1: I remember this as a great episode. I think we just like talked about our childhoods
0: and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fun episode. It was for, yeah, how we tried to make friends in childhood and we we actually got a lot of emails about this one saying people enjoyed it um and like different tactics for making for making friends and i think possibly we talked about the difficulty in keeping touch and keeping in touch with friends and how to be more intentional about it yeah. you know going back to this idea of intentionality which is something that will loves to live his life by yes
1: right the next episode was uh, an in-between episode <laughs> god that was a rough few months <laughs> uh let's just move on uh the episode after that i think this was quite good it was called is being negative ever acceptable uh, and in this episode, we talked about, oh, we'd just come back from a uh, Ed Sheeran concert and we went with two other people and all of us kind of thought it was a bit average. We all thought it was kind of okay. But the funny thing was, a- apart from me, <laughs> no one else wanted to admit that they kind of thought it was okay. And all say, right,
0: because you're a trailblazer. <laughs> you're a trendsetter.
1: Well done. Thank you. Everyone else was just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I had a good time. <laughs> and we were talking about like, you know, when is it, you know, we're, we're, is it good that, for example, I was openly negative about that concert right after we'd been to it? And like, when is it good to be negative about things versus positive? And yeah.
0: Oh, and apparently we invented an acronym, NDA, which stands for Neutral dispassionate Analysis. And Timo came up with Vibe Theory as a way of helping us make decisions about this stuff. I have not once thought about either of those two things. <laughs> I completely forgot we even talked about them.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think those are good, good terms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'll come back to them later. Oh, then we had... Uh, I thought this was quite fun. Uh, on August tw- August 25th we did an episode called What's it like to be Internet Famous featuring Sarah dici and Sarah Dici is like this tech creator entre- entre- entrepreneur, YouTuber and podcaster from America and I'd been following her for ages and she was one of the people that uh, I took a lot of inspiration from when starting my own YouTube channel. So she randomly tweeted, hey, I want to be a guest on some podcasts anyone, anyone up for it? And I replied being like, hell yeah, <laughs> join our podcast And like a few days later we recorded this podcast and I thought it was quite fun.
1: I thought it was fun, but I, I don't think it was a very good podcast. And actually I had friends who also didn't think it was good Cause I think the, the issue was a, it was remote, you know? So we were both in the UK and we, you, you were, we were both in separate places in the UK. Mm. Sarah was in like New York or something. B, we you know, Sarah and us had never met each other before. So there's no, there's no like established rapport or anything like that. And so the boundaries are very different to when it's sort of people who actually know each other. And C, it was like an interview format, which I think is inherently boring. Um, sorry, more boring than a more free-flowing discussion format. And so I think all of these factors kind of combined into, yeah, it was a fun conversation. Sarah seemed really nice. Uh, I'm sure it was fun for you to meet your, one of your idols or whatever. I don't know how interesting it would have been for other people. I certainly had uh, some some friends tell me that it was kind of uh one of the worst ones and i think my main conclusion from that was was mostly about the rapport thing like if you for example if we were recording a podcast episode uh and and the guest was someone we knew quite well um you know like your friend paul or omar or whatever it is completely different to when the guest is a stranger because when the guest is a stranger you know you don't know where the boundaries are with regards to sort of joking around and kind of taking the piss out of each other and there's no like you know so yeah i think like it has to be done correctly yeah. when the guest is a stranger
0: and i think or oh, and, and i think if we do have guests like guests who are strangers as it were kind of doing it in person does make it significantly oh, yeah. more of vibey yeah. rather than kind of doing it three way remote
1: yeah and there's That's actually kind of there's actually a chap chap called james gallagher uh who I, I think is awesome. I've, you know, we've kind of been sort of Twitter mutuals for uh, a few months now. Oh, um, check you out. And uh, a couple of months ago we talked about him coming onto the podcast uh, and I think initially he was, he was keen on just kind of doing it remotely. I think he lives in Edinburgh or something. Um, but I was quite insistent like, like look man, we've we got to get you down to London. And so I think uh, maybe like end of January or something he said um, he might be able to make a trip to London. Oh, awesome. Cool. The next episode was entitled What Do We Want From This Podcast? So I think this This episode came out just after you, well, at this point we kind of thought, okay, maybe we should go down to doing the podcast every two weeks instead of every week.
0: Uh, Yeah, it was after this kind of spate of like, you know, in between episodes where it was a real struggle to actually kind of meet up and do this thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, And we just kind of talked about like our feelings about the podcast. I think Ali and I often disagree about like what the podcast should be and like, you know, what we're going for here and stuff like that. So we, it was kind of a meta episode. We just discussed the podcast. We reached the conclusion that we will stick to doing it every week, uh, and that we didn't stick to our consistency thing for many weeks because we had these in between. episodes.
0: um, yeah, cool. Next we had invisible shackles and life scripts. I thought that was good. Um, this was about all the sort of implicit life scripts that we live our life by, um, that we don't really think about, like, you know, unless you're heavily in the kind of tech entrepreneurship scene, we like, un- so like prior to getting into that, Tame and I both had this just implicit idea that, you know, you go to school to get a good grades, to go to a good university, to then get a good job, to then work or something and then sort of retire and, and stuff. And, That was one of the invisible life scripts that we lived by. And then when we, at least at least me, when I first discovered this, you know, this concept of passive income that, oh my God, you can make money while you sleep, it completely changed the game and transformed, sort of like expanded my box, like expanded the realm of possibility of the things that I was able to do.
1: Yeah, I think in general, this, uh, this metaphor of the box uh, was, I think the main my my sort of main takeaway from this episode where, um, you know, we're kind of talking about how you sort of. Uh, you know, there's this phrase of like thinking outside the box and we kind of reached the conclusion that, look, it's very hard to actually think outside the box. Like it's very hard to truly do something, uh, sort of novel that like you don't have any experience of. And so actually the way to, uh, sort of broaden your horizons and the way to kind of, uh, you know, actually, actually, Get to doing new things is to instead of trying to think outside the box just try and expand your box so expose yourself to different ways of living um, I, I think it, you know, over the past couple of years I've had the chance to kind of uh, live for extended periods of time with different groups of people and that's been like incredibly valuable for me uh, and also expose yourself to sort of different ways of life which you can do by just following people online for example like you know once you start reading about tech and, you know, you read a bunch of stuff about it, then it doesn't seem so crazy to quit your job and start a company. And, you know, once you start following a bunch of YouTubers and reading about, you know, being a, an online creator, it doesn't seem so crazy to start doing it yourself. So it's about sort of expanding the box uh, to, to sort of expose yourself to different uh, ways of living.
0: Okay, let's skip the next few because it's getting really long. Um, I quite liked the Treating Your Personal Life as a Business podcast, which we did in early in October. Yeah, that was a nice one. And I think that that was based on your insight that all of the gains in your personal life have come from treating it more like a business, whereas a lot of the gains in your business have come from treating it more like your personal life. Yeah. Um, And one of the main things that I've uh, sort of, I'm I'm glad I've started to do is to regard my own personal time as an asset, a a resource, like, you know, a non-renewable thing that I'm actually, I'm mindful of how I use. Um, And I think this comes from, Definitely comes from a place of privilege because when we were growing up and, you know, especially when you're at school and university it's not really time that you're limited by. It tends to be money. Like you tend to want to go out of your way in order to save money because money is the thing that's scarce. But then when you start working and, you know, as a doctor and you're a tech guy or whatever, um, once you start making a reasonable amount of money, it stops being a case of having to sort of drive half an hour to save a few quid. It ends up being more a case of optimizing how you spend your time because that's the only thing you can't make more of. Um, And so treating that more like a business with sort of figuring out the best ways to use our time, I think think it's quite helpful.
1: To be honest, I think our upbringing was also fairly privileged. We never really had any uh, yeah, issues on that front, I think.
0: No, but I mean, it's all, it's all relative, isn't it? It's yeah. like, you know, you can't just go and buy what you want. You have to like, actively save up for it. And therefore, you're spending loads of time working a job that you possibly probably don't like in order to make that £8 an hour or, or whatever.
1: £8 pounds an hour. Mate, I used to work at the Vets for £3.64 an hour. I would work my arse off for eight hours on a Saturday to get 25 quid at the Vets.
0: And then you'd spend like 8 <laughs> quid of it at lunch or something did i yeah well, i think you did yeah maybe. <laughs> in order to get through the day you would have to go out for lunch <laughs> oh yeah go spend, out for lunch yeah yeah. yeah yeah spend half of your wages on lunch
1: <laughs> dude that's how they get you that's how capitalism gets you man <laughs> i think the next episode was actually quite good it was a roommate therapy session uh where i sort of well, played the therapist with ali and molly um who live together you should check it out i think it was an interesting one and the rest of the episodes were fairly
0: recent, so I don't think we need to summarize them. Okay, cool. So that, I have no idea how long we've been recording for, but that was sort of part one of this podcast. Yeah. What else did you want to talk about in this annual review?
1: Uh, the other stuff in the interview was more like personal stuff, like, uh, yeah, just talk about uh, how this year, how, how we both think this year has gone, what, how we've both changed over the course of the year, what our main sort of, uh, yeah, what what have we done this year that uh, we think is interesting or meaningful. Uh, I'll, uh, I can start us off. I think like one of the, I think probably the biggest change that's happened in my life. Uh, and it's not something I would have predicted. I think it is actually like extremely non-trivial is that I feel like I am very comfortable talking to anyone now. So like before, you know, let's say like a year ago, um, you know, if I was at a cafe or something, I'd like rehearse my order in my head or something. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to say, can I have a latte, please? Hi, can I have a latte, please? You know, kind of thing. Whatever. Whereas now I just don't do that. And it's 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 amazing. It's so cool. And I think the reason I don't do it anymore is because through, you know, starting this company, I have had, I've had legitimately, you know, probably between like two and three hundred sort of phone calls, video calls with people over the course of the past, like, seven months or something. And just having, like, so many phone, you know, for many, many months, I'd on average have, like, two or three phone calls a day. Some days i had have, like, eight phone calls or something. And just, like, through the, the repetition of speaking to new people, and it's all new people every time, like, speaking to new people um, on the phone or, like, over video call... I think that just made me like really, really comfortable with it. Um, And I I, I remember like for the first bunch of them, maybe for like the first 50 or 100 of these phone calls, you know, I need to like sit down for like 10 minutes beforehand and really prepare myself like mentally and be like, okay, all right, here's what we're going to (laughs) do, you know, this kind of stuff. and not, not even like prepare like the agenda or anything. Just like prepare myself mentally slash emotionally. Whereas now you know I had a call this yeah you know, had a call scheduled this morning, um, and yeah like one minute beforehand I was like cool got a call now let's open up uh, Google Hangouts kind of thing and it was super chill uh, and yeah just like the benefits of ha- having done so many phone calls with so many strangers. I think it's going to be like one of the most impactful things that i
0: ever do so what sort of impact has that had on your real life life rather than just your phone call life
1: yeah i mean i'm saying it, it sort of creeped into my real life life because now i'm just i'm just comfortable talking to you and look I don't, I don't know if this sounds insane or not but yeah it's kind of the thing i was saying whereas before i'd kind of re, you know re, rehearse my coffee order in my head beforehand or whatever uh, or like anything like I don't know, just like interacting with anyone, man. Like we had a guy de- decorating the house a couple of weeks ago. Barry, uh, I just re- Barry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just like just everything. <laughs> As someone who isn't living in my head, does <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it, this is incredibly profound. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And in a way, I'm kind of jealous that like I don't think I feel that level of, level of comfort with like random people. Yeah, um, I have it to some extent and i think the sort of putting myself out there on the internet Mm. has led to a sort of because one of the issues i have is that especially when i'm talking to people who i perceive are not are not like by default looking up to me is that I think what I have to say isn't valuable. Um, And and part of the benefit of sort of just sort of like spouting stuff at a camera for 20 minutes straight and people, you know, tens of thousands of people seeming to watch it on the Internet has sort of made me realize that, oh maybe what I have to say is kind of interesting and kind of valuable to some people. So maybe I don't have to hold it back and try and eject from this conversation as quickly as I can and try and try to speak as quickly as possible in order to get, you know, in order to not bore the other person. Yeah. So there's been a bit of that, but but like while you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, if I were to, I don't know, I'm not sure I'd be fully comfortable approaching a random stranger in the street, but I can't imagine you'd be comfortable doing that either. Whereas if it was sort of a more a less kind of a, pr- a cold approach kind of situation, I think I'd be pretty comfortable. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but also while you were saying that, it, it kind of made me, it sort of inspired me a little bit to, uh, you like, uh, I've, I've been thinking a lot about whether I want to spend some time traveling the world or just kind of staying in Cambridge and making videos. And that's sort of the two sort of trajectories that I could go on with my life. Yeah. And definitely the traveling the world one would lead to so many more social interactions with random people. Yeah. And this would be a big, yeah, time th- just high like, measure improvement.
1: I think, yeah, just like, If you spend a year and you meet like 200, 300 random people, that is going to pay dividends, I think, over the the rest of your life. And like, I think one part of it is becoming comfortable with... um, I don't know what you want to call it. Just becoming comfortable with talking to lots of different kinds of people or making small talk or whatever. The other part of it is actually a very mechanical part of just like speaking. (laughs) And like, yeah, I just think... I think I speak I think I'm I'm much more comfortable speaking a lot more slowly now. So like, you know, in, in this conversation with you, I'm I'm sort of uh, speaking at my normal pace, which is sometimes fast, sometimes slow, whatever. I think like previously, I didn't really I didn't really understand how to speak. I I I'm actually talking about the mechanical process of like getting words out of your mouth. I'm now much more comfortable like speaking much more slowly and deliberately and being confident that I won't stumble over my words and that I will say, say the right thing or whatever. Yeah, I think just like the mechanical, the mechanical process of speaking has just improved. Oh, nice. Look, It's really hard to describe. No, but that makes
0: sense. It's crazy. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. That's a, a big uh, vulnerability in a, in a way to kind of say that out loud.
1: Yeah. Anyway, that's one thing for me. Do you have something?
0: I feel like what I want to say now is sort of <laughs> completely pales in comparison to I discovered how to speak. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, beat that.
0: <laughs> um, probably the biggest kind of gain for me this year has been in the field of personal knowledge management. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, I didn't laugh at you when you talked about learning how to learning how to speak. Uh, or when you talked about not le- <laughs> or when you talked about not knowing how to read. <laughs> So don't laugh at me for this, all right? <laughs> nah, I was You're not laughing. one of those popular kids at school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was just laughing at the acronym. I don't think it's a trivial thing. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Yeah, the field of uh, PKM or personal knowledge management. And that's this idea that we all read, watch, listen to so much stuff in our day-to-day lives. And yet we struggle to remember much of anything that we've read, watched or listened to. And so about six, six seven months ago, I came across this. I think it was via you, actually. You introduced me to this concept of personal knowledge management and i came across some blogs on the internet um some uh, online websites as it were that talk about is kind of using note-taking apps to take notes on absolutely everything that you see that you read listen to or hear that resonates with you Um, and i've started doing that a lot more to the point and it's it's been really helpful in helping me I kind of create more stuff because now I have a sort of a systematic way of getting ideas down on paper or in Evernote or Notion or whatever app I'm using that week um, and being able to refine them over time and just having sort of ideas on the back burner that I can just sort of think about occasionally when I'm not thinking about anything else. Like in a, in a sort of passive way, like I'm not actively th- sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to think about this idea. It just sort of happens. And over time, I found that these ideas have started to become developed a bit more and I've now started to kind of write my own like email newsletters out of them or turn them into videos and, and stuff like that so that's been a real gain that i just didn't quite appreciate and i really wish that the last kind of decade and a half that i've spent <laughs> voraciously reading uh to quote you yeah. that i actually made notes on all the books that i'd read because that would have been completely game changing yeah yeah
1: dude i think this personal knowledge management stuff is insane and like you know if in 2020 the only thing i i improved in my life is that i sort this out i'll be very happy and yeah just honestly just thinking about like wow if only i'd spent the last ten years, sort of highlighting stuff on Kindle or Instapaper or whatever, and just like having all of that somewhere stored, that
0: would be so good. Oh, mate! I've literally spent the last ten years highlighting stuff on Kindle. Really? <laughs> I have ten years worth of highlights oh, on Kindle. you twat! <laughs> <laughs> like from like two thousand and nine onwards. Oh my god, yeah. that's awesome. That's really good. No, it's fantastic. It's it's so good to have that kind of list of highlights. For someone like, if you weren't creating
1: content, what do you think? What do you think is the benefit to personal knowledge management? if you aren't trying to churn out youtube videos and newsletters because i think most of the listeners are probably in that position
0: i think the benefit of it uh, like so a big part of me wants to argue that all of us are are, are in the in the creation game at some point like in in some way or another like all of our jobs are going to involve creation in some capacity um it's hard for me to give an example kind of off the top of my head in for, for medicine, because medicine is like the most traditional thing you can imagine. And there's not a lot that personal knowledge management grants you sort of, if you're reading self-improvement books about how you can relate that into medicine. But then even in something like medicine, like when you're giving a talk or giving a presentation or something, being able to, Oh, it's, it's, is this idea that, that there was like a famous U S president. Maybe it was Clinton, maybe it was Reagan. I don't know who, but it's this idea of a commonplace book and that's like a book that you have on your mantelpiece where you uh, kind of write down all of the interesting quotes that you've ever come across. Oh, all okay. kind of little kind of scraps of books that you that really resonated with you and stuff like that, such that a you have it as a repository of knowledge that you have actively decided this resonates with me. Therefore, I'm going to put it in the book. And that serves as a reminder to yourself as that the, this is the way that you're going to live your life. So for me, for example, when I first came across the parable of the Mexican fisherman, um, it, it was completely paradigm shifting for me in the way that I viewed the world. Yeah. So that would have gone in my commonplace book. Uh, as a, this is a really important life lesson to come to. Yeah. And even, even if I wasn't in the business of creating content, I think that would have been really useful for me to look back on just for my own personal well, benefit. But also if I was ever giving a talk in medicine or giving a talk in my job or, you know, like uh, this stuff often comes in useful in ways that we just, can't imagine like Mm -hmm. right now and so the practice of exporting all your kindle highlights into an evernote and just storing them forever is so low effort right now and yet who knows in 10 15 20 years time maybe you do you know end up writing something or creating something or making a video or giving a talk or where where you can reference these things that you've accumulated over the last 20 years that i think it's it's a very sort of long-term long-term sort of benefit of it
1: oh okay yeah i think that makes sense I, i guess it's probably also related to like you know daily journaling and stuff like that and like having a record of all of just thoughts and things and, and that kind of stuff to look back on and categorize
0: yeah definitely the, uh, th- that's another thing i really wish i'd done like last 10 years you know yeah. I just done a daily journal that would been so good to look back on yeah um yeah
1: yeah there were actually there were periods of my time at university where i would do sort of daily journaling and i have a bunch of like Molesk, moleskin notebooks i think the are sitting on my desk in front of you uh with like And, and yeah, you you can see like a few weeks, if you flick through them, there'll be like a few weeks at a time where I have like in every day, like a few bullet points about my day. And occasionally I do browse through them and it is really interesting to see like, what the hell was I doing on this random week in second year? Like what was going through my head? What was like the meaningful part of my day? Uh, it's really cool to see. And I wish I'd, yeah, wish I keep kept that up.
0: Yeah, definitely. So that's something that I've, I've, I've made a, I've, I've made a concerted, um, intention to do more of in 2020, um, I've started using this new like writing app. Uh, it's not really new. I've, I've kind of used it in the past, but the great thing about this is that every day you set a goal of writing a certain number of words per day, and you have this just sort of floating in the top top corner of your MacBook. And so I've set I'm I'm setting like a personal goal for myself that every day I'm going to write a thousand words, oh. and that thousand words can be in the form of video plans or notes or whatever. Uh, book reviews but also in the form of my journal and so if i need to get my word count up it'll be very easy to just kind of write about my thoughts and feelings in my journal um and because of the business of content creation that i'm in often i felt like i found that when i've been journaling stuff i've just started writing out stuff the thoughts and feelings i've had about the business about the youtube about medicine which has then been relevant, sort of six months later, when I'm looking back on this stuff. Yeah. So this is sort of a very kind of long-term project that I I really want to put more effort into. That sounds good. What's What's the app called? The app is called the the app is called Ulysses. It's oh, it, a Yeah. Mac yeah. only kind of writer type thing. But yeah,
1: nice. I'll check it out. Yeah, man. Uh, so that's personal knowledge management from you. Another thing that I was uh, I've been thinking about is, and this is going to sound like really abstract and like, oh, here we go. And like, I, I don't know if it's going to make any sense to anyone, but I was sort of, basically, I think for most of my life, I have, I've kind of operated under the sort of thinking that if you can't describe or articulate something, it doesn't really exist. And so, for example, uh, you know, if in this, look, this is a really trivial example. And, and what I'm saying is a lot more like fundamental than this, but bear with me for a second here for example a couple of years ago if i would have asked someone like if someone was like oh i'm really into uh really into period dramas or something um <laughs> <laughs> said period uh, nice uh really period dramas and i'd and i'd have asked them oh, oh cool why why are you into period dramas and maybe they would have said something like sure i just i just really like them you know i guess i kind of like the feel of them or something yeah i don't know i just i just really like period dramas i think at that point i would have um you know if i was feeling uncharitable i would have probably thought oh they're trying to you know they 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 can't articulate why they like period dramas they can't describe it to me in words. Therefore. There is something nefarious under the surface here, and they're probably just trying to signal how high-brow they are because they watch, Doughton I don't know, Downton Abbey, <laughs> <Doughton> Abbey <laughs> or <the> crown. <laughs> Poirot.
0: Poirot yeah. um, period
1: drama? I don't know, man. It. <laughs> it's not many period, Poirot. Yeah. Um, where, and look, again, this is a super trivial example. Whereas now, if someone, you know, and I had a conversation with someone this afternoon over lunch, and she said, She.
0: Yeah, <laughs> had to get that in there. <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> not from age 11 onwards. <laughs>
1: uh, she said she's into period dramas. And I asked her why she's into period... Surely you made a period joke.
0: Well, no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, Sorry, okay. I think that's p- probably why you're having lunch with females and I'm not.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and we were kind of trying to figure out why she likes period dramas. And it's hard to articulate. The closest we got was that there's just a certain aesthetic about that, about that period that, <laughs> she, that she likes. And that's fine. And again, look, this is a trivial. Let me try and think of a slightly more.
0: No, it's example. fine. Please continue with your trivial example.
1: <laughs> <sighs> I think, okay. The, the more fu- fundamental thing is I think that if I had, yeah, I think this is it. Ooh, I, oh, I all made some thoughts have just crystallized. Oh, Love it when that happens. Basically, if I had some... Sounds like you're having your own period drama. <laughs> okay. If I had some, uh, some thoughts or some feelings or some inclination about something, but I couldn't articulate it to myself, then I wouldn't think it's like a valid thing. And so, for example, if, you know, I don't know, like a few years ago or something, if I thought, oh, it could be nice for... I'd like to put myself out there on the internet. I'd like to make YouTube videos about whatever it is. I don't think I would have been able to articulate to myself why I wanted to make YouTube videos or come up with a, yeah, an explanation I'd be happy with. And so I wouldn't think it's a valid thing to do. And I think, um, I don't know, again, maybe the YouTube example is bad, but help me out here, man. Do you understand at all what I'm getting at?
0: Uh, not really. Because <laughs> oh, no. I think the inability to articulate why you want to do something or why you like something is an indicator of unclear thinking on it. And you should do your best to articulate that gut feeling and figure out where it's coming from and why it's coming from there. And that's why journaling people say is such, a, such a good exercise. It's not that you're kind of scribbling on a page. It's that you're, act, you're kind of writing what your thoughts are. And in doing so, the idea is that you'll you know, the, the thoughts will actually crystallize <laughs> r- r- rather than this, whatever this version of crystallizing that you just went through. was.
1: <laughs> okay. No, no, I look, so what I'm saying is different to that because I totally agree with that. Um The crystallizing thing was that I think that perhaps, perhaps one of the, you know, one of the reasons that I, I do sort of, over, you know, in inverted commas, overthink things and uh sort of find myself introspecting a lot is because Internally, I've kind of just always felt like if I can't articulate this thing, it's not like real or it's not like valid or something just for myself. Now, look, I I agree with what you just said. And the reason what I'm saying, I think what I'm saying is different is also because I think it also applies to like holding beliefs and things. And so I think previously, okay, I think it basically comes down to this thing about the map and the territory and how the map is not the territory. And I think previously I operated, you know, as if the map was the territory, the map being words, essentially words and language, you know, that like, if you, if you don't have the words or language to describe or explain something, then that thing basically doesn't exist. Whereas over the past year, I've really internalized the idea that words and language are the map and the territory is, you know, underlying ideas, concepts, feelings, or whatever, And even if you, you know, even if you don't have the words or language to describe something, that thing can still be very, very valid and very real. And, you know, there are lots of things that words and language can't actually describe. Uh, And I think a lot of, well, I think in general, a lot of like, just the way we speak about so many things is really reductive. Like to use like a maths analogy, I think what yeah this this is an analogy I always think back to. I think most things are like massively high dimensional, and when we try and talk about them, like just because of the limitations of language and talking to people, we basically have to reduce things to like one or two dimensions. Um, and there's definitely something lost in the process. And so like, again, this is still abstract nonsense, right? Do you understand what?
0: No, I'm No, no, yeah, I fully know what you mean. It's like how people <laughs> say that you know falling in love is something that you like you know thousands of authors over the years have tried to describe but obviously the way falling in love is described in books is you know it's it's not the feeling of falling in love in real life for example
1: yeah i think that's a decent example and i think like maybe maybe this is just like really stupid and i've I've spent the last 24 years of my life like a sort of a moron of sorts but uh i think previously yeah i just thought like if you can't describe it it's not real man okay (laughs)
0: Fair enough. So you've started to appreciate more the uh, the unseen, as it were. Uh,
1: I guess, yeah, I guess so. I think the, the map of the territory thing is probably the closest I can get to describing this. But it really, it, look, again, this sounds weird. It's a bit like the talking thing. It probably doesn't make sense if you're not in my head. But trust me, this is a
0: massive shift for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a really, really big deal. Yeah. Right, your turn. I think one other area area in which I've made gains is in appreciating appreciating the power of coaching. So I've started reading a lot of books about like management and how to run a small business and stuff like that. And previously, if Uh, You're told if you'd given me a book about like, you know, how to manage a small business and and stuff about like standard operating procedures and all that stuff. I would have dismissed it as like, you know, BS mumbo jumbo who needs a mission statement and a broad vision and all that stuff that, you know, the only thing important is that you just execute on your thing. Um, But now having made a lot of the mistakes that first time entrepreneurs make and small business owners make, I now much more appreciate the power of coaching Uh, and going back to what we were discussing about high measure things. Uh, you know I've got I've, I've got a singing coach now um, I'm sort of actively looking for a personal trainer I also want to start doing things like getting like voice lessons and um, even like sort of going to some of these like social skills boot camps and stuff in America just you know just just to see what they'll be like and I'm sure they'll have a net positive effect on my life.
1: Nice yeah coaching is also something I've been thinking about uh, firstly in the context of like the business so you know Lucas and I we're extremely inexperienced with regards to everything. And there's like, yeah, we can sort of improve at basically everything. Uh, And so we're sort of actively trying to find uh, essentially like a senior sort of person who has like experience in specifically the technical kind of stuff that we're trying to do. So like building a calculation engine and that kind of thing, we're, we're trying to find someone who can sort of advise us on that for a few hours a month. Uh And then also on the design side, you know, design is always something I've been into, um, but I've never really uh, had any sort of mentorship or anything like that. And so finding like a really experienced senior design person uh, who I can sort of sit down with for a few hours a month uh, to sort of workshop through things, uh, I think that'll really sort of a help Lucas and I kind of level up our own skills uh, and be obviously like be really valuable for the product that we're trying to build uh, but I think even outside of like the business thing um yeah I, I, I've been quite interested in the whole social skills uh kind of coaching aspect because there's a few people in my twitter circles who are really into it uh, and like this stuff for the most part seems like a scam like you go on some of these websites that these people swear by it's like what are you serious this thing <laughs> and uh yeah, basically, what what like there's a guy called Crow Yuan or something. Crouch QC is like his his Twitter name. Okay. Do you know this guy? No. Oh, dude, this guy is like he's been absolutely killing it for the past few months on Twitter. Like so many like really good tweets and insights and stuff. And his unique brand is that he's all about like healing trauma through crying. He's all about self crying, <laughs> and uh, he's found some like he's found some like guy who teaches you how to like self cry <laughs> as like self therapy. It's incredible. And like this guy, yeah. And, and like you go on the website for this thing, it's the sketchiest looking thing you've ever seen in your life. This guy swears by it. He's like, pay these guys, you know, thousands. <laughs> and look, th- this guy, by any standard, you know, definitions, is not an idiot. <laughs> okay. He, he's like a maths PhD from like Princeton or something. <laughs> and he's like going to these scammy looking uh self therapy, emotional healing kind of, you know, really hippie sounding stuff. And he has absolutely changed his life. I think he has a sex coach, and I think I think he has. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice.
1: Is, is that what they're calling it now? <laughs> thats a great idea. <laughs> I actually don't Sign know. Me what, up. I don't know what that entails. <laughs> yeah, he's got. Look, he's got a bunch of these bizarre, like, sounding things. Well, like, look—if you told you—if you told your mom or your uncle about it or whatever, they would think you are. I think.
0: Sign me up. <laughs> yeah
1: so yeah I think coaching is really good um final sort of um 2019 review point from me I think one of the sort of really fundamental areas that I've kind of changed my thinking and and my worldview is is I think that like I've I started thinking a lot more independently uh, this year than ever before uh, I think like this partly came out of sort of doing the startup because you know when we started out we had some you know vague conceptions about what we were trying to do uh, and then we talked to a bunch of people who, are sort of, you know, ostensibly very successful and well-regarded and very experienced, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And they they basically all had bits of advice for us um, and they were all like completely different. And the people who I really liked also then told us, by the way, don't listen to anyone's advice. No one one is qualified to tell you guys what to do. Um, And I think, yeah, we sort of really faced this early on when, you know, I think we were kind of operating with the mindset of like, oh, we can just ask so-and-so what to do and then he'll tell us what to do and it's all good. Uh, when really that's not how it works. Um, and I think even outside of that, I think previously, and I didn't really realize it until the whole startup thing, I think previously I would have, um, I think like society is just like very credentialist. And uh, I, you know, you kind of look, look to credentials to see how legit someone is. You know, you look at their like educational background their previous employers and things like that. And actually, I, I think this, this came up in an interesting way in this podcast that we've recorded where uh, it was when you'd said, we were talking about the episode where you interviewed me and you said something along the lines of, I interviewed you uh, as if you were kind of some high, high, you know big, big shock successful person or something. And then I don't know, I don't know like how int- how intentional you were about this or how deliberate this was. And then immediately afterwards you said, and actually this was, this was before your startup got funded. You said something along those lines as uh, essentially you were kind of implying that the startup getting funded...
0: Oh, it was an indicator of your credibility. Was absolutely. an
1: indicator of credibility or oh, yeah. like legitness or success or something. And I think that's really interesting because I, th- I think like... I'm I'm absolutely the complete opposite now. And I think like before this year, I would have, you know... I would have looked to, to those things. Um, but I think like...
0: I don't know. I think... Uh... The, uh, th- there obviously is value in credibility indicators. Sorry? Like you know, the there obviously is value in credibility indicators. Like someone's startup who's funded is is on average going to be more legit than someone who isn't, right?
1: Uh sure, but I don't uh, I basically I don't think there's like any reasonable level at which it's useful to make that distinction. So for example, uh you know, I actually just today I got a DM from some rando on Twitter saying hey man, I saw you were in uh, this particular VC fund's portfolio, like I saw they invested in you, you know, we're starting this thing, Uh, we love an introduction to one of the partners at this firm, Uh, here's what we're trying to do. And, you know, in that situation, it's like, okay, these these people are pretty early on, Uh, there's basically no measures of credibility to go by, you basically have to make up your own mind about this, you know. And this is a position that, for example, every investor is in, every like startup founder, you know, W- uh, will be in at the start of their journey, and you know I have, the, I have friends of mine from like university and things who are also starting companies, and ju- just seeing how meaning like a really good example of the credibility thing is that uh, I had a friend who, um, who I have a friend from uh, from university who dropped out to start a company. I thought it was a terrible idea. I thought it was a ter- terrible idea right from the start. It's basically Netflix for books. I thought it was the worst idea I've ever heard. Could not believe these guys were dropping out to do this thing. I thought they were absolutely insane. Um, then they got accepted by this sort of prestigious startup incubator or whatever. And I was like, whoa, really? <laughs> that? <laughs> And uh, that completely changed my view of it. I was like, whoa, gosh, that, there's got to be something here. <laughs> and then before the batch started, they got kicked out of it before I even started.
0: <laughs> and you're like, yes, I knew it.
1: <laughs> and yeah, at that point I was like, man, <laughs> this whole thing means absolutely nothing. And I think like one of the nice things about the whole uh, sort of startup, uh, you know, game, you know, culture, whatever, is that. People who've been around for any reasonable period of time have seen this exact thing play out so many times where like, you know, the startup that had all the signs of credibility turns out to be complete rubbish. You know, Theranos, now WeWork is going through it, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, some rando, rando startup that like no one's ever heard of where the founders were like complete nobody's, you know, does really well. Like the, the credibility thing is, I think it's very rarely useful as a judgment thing. Like, fine. Statistically, you know, people with boundaries of credibility are more likely to be whatever. They're, I don't think there's any scenario in which it's actually useful to think that way.
0: I feel like you're trying to make a very general point, but you're kind of using a very, a very, very specific example for it.
1: Uh, that is a specific example. Um, but sorry, yeah, my, my general point is that, like, I, I think I used to think highly of, like, signals of credibility, like, ec- external signals of credibility... Like, institutions, basically. I, I used to think very highly of, like, validation from institutions, um, you know, universities, whatever. Whereas now I reserve judgment, I think. And I think that's been useful.
0: Okay, but so it's it sounds like you appreciate that credibility indicators from institutions are valuable to some extent, Um and it's, I think it's, it's, it's fairly obvious and I'm, I'm not going to kind of waste time by stating the obvious that, oh, well, you know, in medicine, having a credibility indicator is really helpful because blah, blah, blah. But I, it's, it sounds like you're giving them less weighting than you once did.
1: Yeah. Significantly less weighting than I once did. Okay. I think it's actually been, yeah, very, very sort of, I think it's, it's very freeing in a sense. Like it, feel, it just, if it, A, it like feels like a nicer way to live and B, I just think it like leads to better outcomes. Like I think... I think there are far more trapdoors in like trusting credibility indicators than there are in like not trusting them.
0: No, but then like uh, so, I want to agree with with what you're saying, but I feel like the way you're phrasing it is far too emphatic. And like you what know, you mean? for example, you, you, like a credibility a credibility indicator from from some kind of institution is just another data point, right? And in in the absence of other data points, like you know, as you said, on average, people with lots of credibility indicators are on on average going to do better than people without those. Yeah, look, I I
1: guess my whole point is that I weight them significantly less. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I can get on board with that. Yeah. Cool. So that was my last thing. Do you have a final
0: 2019 review piece? One profound insight that I've had in 2019 is that when a girl is complaining to you about her problems, she doesn't want a solution. She just wants someone to listen to her problems. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd always heard this trope in like TV shows and movies and stuff. Yeah, But I hadn't quite appreciated it in real life Until I started like Applying the kind of listening ear More to kind of my female friends Who would complain to me about their problems And uh, sort of in polling them afterwards uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd find that they actually appreciated that And like while I was doing the listening thing I felt very fake I was like Surely this is coming across Like, Surely they see through this act that I'm putting on <laughs> that, you know, obviously I know what the solutions are to all these problems and they're all based around telling themselves a different story about this particular series of events. But, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to talk about stoicism. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to be there for them. And then I I started doing this and realized that, oh damn, this, this stuff actually works. (laughs) And then I was talking about this at work with some, with some, with some colleagues. And I realized that for a lot, for, you know, for, for some there was there was one particular example of a patient who was complaining to me about some problem that in my that in my head was a complete non-issue and I was like oh it'll be fine yeah don't worry blah blah blah, um, but then the female doctor I was with who was much more experienced than me and probably a, a better doctor and better communicator said that no 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 that's that's not how you do it you know she really wanted to be heard she wanted you to validate her concerns and wanted to feel as if what she was saying was not silly yeah whereas I kind of made it sound as if what she what she was saying was silly because in my opinion it was and and it was like objectively yeah. um, but she was saying that you know that's not what they want to hear and so I've started seeing that a lot more that the appropriate response in a situation is not necessarily what is right uh but sometimes what well, just what the other person wants to hear within reason oh, so nice. you know that's an area that I don't want to overcorrect on but I'm trying to kind of move towards that place where I'm happy being supportive without being problem solving.
1: Yeah. That's really good. I'm surprised this didn't sink in after that modern family episode. Do you know the one I'm talking about? When uh, Phil, yeah. I Phil know goes to the spa. Yeah. yeah. I mean, cause that changed the game for me before. I think that was my turning point for like, um, yeah, just being more like listening and validating and, and stuff.
0: So, so for those of our listeners who haven't seen that particular episode um, in, uh, in this TV show, modern family, Phil is sort of like the archetypal dad, um and you know the kind of kind of goofy dad. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's kind of goofy dad, and he goes to like the hair salon, and he ends up kind of ha- chatting with all these like like twenty five women at this hair salon, and they're and they're all, they're trying to give him advice about his marriage and stuff, and he has this like profound moment of insight where he's like, wait a minute. So you're saying, if <laughs> you know when Claire says, oh my god, the traffic was so bad, then I shouldn't say, well, honey, we could have left ten minutes earlier. I should say. God, yeah, that traffic. And everyone's like, yeah, that's exactly what you should say. And you're saying when Claire complains about her boss being a jerk, I shouldn't say, well, honey, maybe you should try and see it from his point of view. I should say, God, yeah, what a jerk. And everyone's <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so that's the insight that you're referring to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no. So I've i seen instances of that, but I'd, I guess did you never just, really buy it is that it I I, I I said i'm sure i bought it but i just never really put it into practice to such an extent oh. um i guess i've had more females complaining to me about their problems recently than than i have in the past but yeah oh okay yeah that was my final insight of 2019
1: nice uh i think that basically wraps this up let's end this uh by reading a review we got like a this review actually kind of uh I think in general, I don't really uh, put too much weight on uh, internet comments, but this review was definitely food for thought for me. It was a four-star review. It was uh, by Bill D. Rimler from Turkey. Uh, And they said, overall, very good podcast with a very helpful content. But sometimes I feel like the speakers don't listen to each other and just wait for their turn to speak. And this is certainly, I think in the last episode, I kind of noticed this a little bit. And I, I like to think it was just because, you know, sometimes we don't have anything particular to add to what the other person's saying. And so we kind of move on to a new point. Uh, but I think this thing about like, yeah, I, it, it kind of got me thinking because I would hate to be a person that, uh, you know, just listens for their turn to speak in a conversation rather than actually listening to the other person. And I think that's really important. Um, so thank you to this person for this review. This is uh, very interesting feedback and something I will
0: bear in mind. Cool. All right. Well, that wraps up 2019. Thank you so much for being with us. If you've uh, stuck to the end of this incredibly long episode, I think this is probably the longest episode we've ever done. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot that like, like actually means a lot that you guys uh, actually uh, enjoy hearing us talk about like random stuff every week. And occasionally people ask, oh, what's your podcast about? And I'm always like, uh well, stuff. you know we just sort of talk about random stuff and yeah. it sort of sometimes relate to social stuff and yeah i don't know really i mean our tagline is happiness creativity blah, blah. um but yeah no it really means a lot thank you so much
1: yeah thanks everyone uh, and we will see you in 2020 one last thing you know how we often like address the listeners and stuff yeah it's weird because like i don't really have a conception of what this body of people is like occasionally we, we get like an email every couple of days we get a review every couple of days those are the only indications anyone listens
0: to this. No, exactly. But then if you look at the stats, you know, supposedly like 100,000 downloads a month, which is like a lot of people, especially as far as podcast statistics go.
1: Yeah, I guess just in my head, I don't know, like... Yeah, like, I don't know, like... Are people, like, waking up on a Sunday thinking, oh, great, and you have so not over... <laughs>
0: like, yeah, apparently they are. Like, uh, on, on days where we don't have an episode until a kind of late night, I get tweets and YouTube comments being like, where's the podcast? Oh, nice. Um, also, I've started getting some YouTube comments being like, I... I listened to your podcast and then I found a YouTube channel. Nice. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> That's the way it should be. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I would have expected. But. That's cool.
1: But yeah, I guess it's just weird to like address this body of people who I don't really have a good picture for in my head. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, hope you have a great new year and yeah. see you in 2020.
0: Happy new year. Bye bye. Oh, and go to skillshare.com slash not overthinking to help support us. Please. Thanks. Bye bye. Nice.